Hello, and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, and you're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What to Be is a program provided by Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future Is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today I have the pleasure to speak to Dr. George Bunch. Hi, George. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for taking the time to help out with this interview. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. George, do you mind briefly describing or telling us about your career journey? Oh, sure. Well, I grew up in a small uh, rural area of southeast New Mexico called Artesia. Artesia, my dad was a family practice doctor. He was gone most of the time because he was in a solo practice. So when I went off to college, I started in architecture because I was not particularly interested in medicine, but I got off away from home and and realized my dad had a great relationship with his medical practice and the community, and it was very satisfying, and I thought, man, I could do that too. So I switched to pre-med. Uh, I was at the University of Texas in Austin for their architecture school, but I switched to pre-med and took biology, chemistry, and Spanish one summer to get caught up on my language and, and sciences, and then... Uh, Went to UNM and Albuquerque University of New Mexico, just starting a brand new medical school. And so I went there and because my name starts with a B for bunch and a class was only 24 students, I was the first one to graduate, got the degree ahead of everybody else. So that was a kind of a fun distinction. So I'm, I got my medical degree there in New Mexico and uh, did uh, uh, training in Cleveland, Ohio for pediatrics and two years in the Navajo Indian Health Service in northern Arizona, Shiprock, New Mexico. Very fascinating experience working with the Navajo Indians in a very rural, remote area. That was uh, 1971 to 73. Things were pretty primitive out on the reservation. We had no air evacuation or any uh, fancy ambulance or anything. We had a station wagon. It put the patient in the back of the station wagon, sent him 75 miles to the nearest hospital in Tuba City, Arizona. It was uh, quite an experience it, uh, to think that uh, that that was uh, how medical care was, was handled back then. So it was um, very good. But I did then go to LA County Hospital part of USC Medical School for pediatric residency to finish my pediatric training and then uh, off to rural New Mexico in a little town called Las Vegas, New Mexico. Uh, it's near Santa Fe, town of 16,000 and set up a pediatric practice because that's what I wanted to do is to work with children. And so that was a uh, a town that in an area of the state had never had any pediatrician in that rural area. So um, I, uh, that's where I had my medical career, 35 years there in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Okay. And I was wondering, 
the 75 mile trips that you had to take sometimes to get patients to the nearest to the bigger hospital did you have did you ride along on those trips because that's a long time and if someone was in critical shape i mean they might need a doctor on board to 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 treat the the patient well you're right it it, it was a, a long time now because we had 10,000 Navajo, there were three of us, three doctors. Uh, and we had 10,000 Navajo to see in our clinic there and take care of. We didn't have time to ride the ambulance back and forth. And so what we'd do is uh, um, try to get the most urgent medication into the patient. And in my case, in pediatrics, sometimes it was a baby in a bassinet or a little portable bassinet, put it in the back of the station wagon after having given them an IV dose of antibiotic and maybe a little bit of IV fluids if they're dehydrated, because on the reservation, there was not running water. A lot of them had, a lot of the Navajos lived in hogans and little lean-tos around with no piped-in plumbing, so they would go get their big 50-gallon drum of water for the week from the trading post. So they didn't waste that water with a lot of hand washing and uh, and sanitation so that uh, we saw a lot of gastroenteritis, diarrhea, vomiting, dehydration. So we'd give the baby a IV dose long enough to get them hydrated up uh, if they had an infection like meningitis or pneumonia, which were quite common. We'd give them a dose of antibiotic and they would go 75 miles in the station wagon down to the city at the hospital. And in those days, we didn't even have transport nurses to go with them. This baby was uh, given the medicine. And uh, fortunately, uh, my two years there, I don't, we didn't have any that passed away on the journey. But it certainly is a, a scary thought to think that uh, we didn't have more sophisticated medical care. Uh, no, like I say, no air evacuation or helicopters or any of that. So it was a yeah, kind of an experience. In fact, another illustration of that was the Navajos had frequent rodeos. And so as the uh, medical doctor for the clinic, we would go to the rodeo and have our, our station wagon there handy in case we needed to transport somebody to the hospital. And growing up in rural New Mexico, I used to always love going to the rodeos, but not anymore when I was going to have to take care of whoever got bucked off and, and stepped on and, and uh, concussion or whatever to uh, get them down 75 miles to the nearest hospital. I didn't enjoy the rodeos anymore. <laughs> that makes sense. They ruined it for you. They <laughs> yeah, did, but oh, we man. enjoyed the, the Indian dances and other things weren't so dangerous. Well, how about in retirement? Are you able to go to, the, to enjoy the rodeo again? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I guess I had so many rodeos as a kid growing up that I don't, somehow I, I don't feel the need. I used to go occasionally to the New Mexico State Fair Rodeo because they would always have a, a famous singer, um, Linda Ronstadt or oh, cool. John wow. or somebody, you know, uh, at the rodeo. So they'd have some of the rodeo, then they'd have some singing events. And, and so I used to go to those. Here, I, haven't, I have to admit, I haven't been down to all the rodeos they have around here. I, I guess I should. Well, I think, I think it's Salinas is our, is our one around here, right? Yes, that's right. And, but I guess it's partly that 
I'm more worried about folks getting hurt, even though I'm not responsible yeah. <laughs> for that experience in the, in the Navajo Indian Reservation. I guess I'm a little more reluctant to go to the rodeo. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, even after you retire, you're, you are still a doctor, right? You're right. And so even the sporting events, I get a little anxious for those high school kids uh, and, and the college kids when you're watching the game. Yeah. I'm not responsible. You feel a little um, uneasy. Yeah. Football is pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. George, do you mind telling us what your, you know, your typical day or week looks like being a pediatrician? Well, I, could, I guess I go with one of the days in New Mexico when I had my own practice there that I had. And during those 35 years, I was practicing there the typical day. If I were on call, I, I had another pediatrician that went with me from L.A. County Hospital. So the two of us would alternate days on call. So if it was the day I was on call, the day would start with uh, rounds at the hospital, which means if we had admitted somebody during that night before, or during that week, had patients in the hospital we were caring for, we would go in and check on them, check on the chart, see how they'd been doing since we'd seen them the day before, talk to the nurse about how they're coming. And so we would check in on Oh, zero to two or three, occasionally in one or four or five patients that we might have in the hospital, usually in the summertime, not so many. And then we would go to the newborn nursery, see any newborn babies that might have been born uh, since the day before when we last checked on the nursery. So we'd check in on them, do exam, talk to the moms. So after finishing up doing the newborn and any inpatient hospital care, then we would I would, I should say, but my partner do the same on his days. I would go to the office, start seeing our appointments for the day, which was a mixture of well-child checkups, kids coming in just to take care of getting their immunizations, talking about safety issues and, and nutrition and uh, health care in general with the families and sick kids that might be there. We had two different waiting rooms but they were uh, sick kids and, and well children during the day. And uh, then at noon, if, if we had somebody that was needing some attention at the hospital, we might drop back by there. Fortunately, it was only a few blocks away from our office. And then at the end of the day, if we had patients still in the hospital that we haven't sent home, then stop by the hospital on the way home to check in on any patients that we have in the hospital that might need some attention or a newborn that might need now ready to go home, need another check. Okay. And I was wondering when you, when you transferred from New Mexico to, was it LA County Hospital? Was that quite a, that must've been quite a change. Well, I had a, a, a lifetime of change. I grew up in a really small town. Then I go to the University of Texas in Austin, big school, then I go to University of New Mexico Medical School where we have 24 students because it was a brand new school. So they started small and then gradually built up. And then I went from there to Cleveland, Ohio to a big pediatric, I mean, a big uh, county hospital or city hospital. And then from Cleveland, I went to the Navajo Indian Reservation with uh, no hospital, just a, a clinic with three, of, three doctors, very rural 
setting where we had a hospital, I mean, a public health service compound with, with the three doctors, a, a dentist, a sanitation, a pharmacist, and, you know, like a compound of about 10 houses for the medical personnel of the community. And then I go there to LA to do my residency at LA County Hospital, then to New Mexico in a rural small town to where I was. So yeah, it was, a lot. oh, I, I missed, I went from Cleveland straight to the Navajo Indian Reservation, yeah. And yeah. Then, then to LA County. So yeah, it was a contrast. Every move was a huge contrast from the place before. But it was yeah. interesting, that kept very, very interesting. Just the amount of patients that you were probably seeing at LA County was, there was probably a lot more, right? Yes, a busy place. Uh, and a lot of them didn't speak English because it was in the heart of East LA, which is where um, the Hispanic, uh, large Hispanic community. So, so it was um, busy and required uh, occasional t- interpretation. Fortunately, I had studied Spanish in both high school and the University of Texas. So I was able to get by with most patients without need of an interpreter. But when you get into complicated issues or emotional or some issues, it's much better to get a little more details about what the conditions really were. Yeah. For students listening, what or what kind of students do you think would enjoy a job in the medical field being a pediatrician? Yes, well, number one is, is loving to be around children. I mean, Pediatrics is a fun profession as long as you like children and, and, and don't get too bothered by the fact that uh, they're going to be crying at times and they're going to be upset at times. But one nice thing about a pediatric office practice is we're seeing the same patients over and again over the years and they get used to us and they enjoy coming in and they're not upset. And so it is a a fun time in the office working with children. So first thing would be willing to work with children and being able to tolerate babies crying because they don't understand. And also the challenge of trying to figure what's wrong with somebody when they can't tell you where they hurt or what what their general feelings are so that it's a, somewhat of a challenge uh, to, to work with babies and infants, small children in deciphering what their medical problems are. Would you say that it can require a lot of patience sometimes? Sure. Uh, there's no doubt about that. When a baby's screaming and you're trying to examine them and trying to figure out what's wrong, you have to be patient and, and realize that the baby can't help it. They don't know what you're doing or why. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And just people in general, when they're like at a heightened state of emotion, they might not be able to convey exactly what's going on for you to be able to help them in that? Yeah, process. the anxiety is, is there at any age. And of course, teenagers have their own challenges to deal with and try to get information from. So we got both spectrums, those in infancy and early childhood who don't understand or don't know, and the teenagers who may be reluctant to you know, discuss personal or difficult information from their own anxiety. So, George, would you like to share one of your most memorable experiences over your long career being a, a pediatric doctor? Oh, yeah. Gee, there, there are many, many interesting cases and, and challenges. Uh, 
I know uh, one time kids frequently, unfortunately, put money in their mouth and children don't need money, uh, babies and preschoolers, but people love to give them that. And so I had a child they brought in, that they said, was playing with some money and, and choked and kind of was having trouble swallowing. Fortunately, it wasn't affecting the breathing. One thing about pennies, fortunately, or dimes, is they usually go down without a problem. They go into the stomach, they come past the through. It's not a major problem, so we're usually not too worried about a penny or a dime. There are things that, like batteries, some of the, you know, nickel cadmium, some of the batteries are a real serious problem. But anyway, I had one come in, and yet they seem to be continuing to have trouble swallowing. So we got x-ray, and they had three pennies stuck together in the uh, pot in the esophagus there. And so uh, that was uh, why they were having trouble is because it was a lot thicker than a regular penny. And so uh, we arranged for an ear, nose, and throat specialist to, to remove those. Sometimes you can give them something to eat, like a marshmallow or something that helps expand the mm. esophagus going down, and it'll just pass right through. But... Uh, that was kind of memorable. There, there are many cases that uh, we had on the Navajo Indian Reservation, particularly things like we had a case of bubonic plague where they came in with a huge swelling in the neck, like when the lymph nodes was very large and swollen. And, and we do have, unfortunately, things like plague that can still occur in rural New Mexico or Arizona. And this... Uh, child actually a teenager had had been out you know rabbit hunting and like you know probably some fleas or something when he shot a rabbit or skinning it whatever and uh, in la county hospital when i was there that's again a big referral center so we had cases of tetanus occasionally uh from people from mexico that hadn't gotten all their immunizations and we had uh, a case of a trichinosis in a Boy Scout troop who'd shot a bear up in the mountains and cooked it and didn't get it cooked thoroughly enough. And they had trichinosis and people used to say, you know, you gotta be sure you cook pork and all to avoid that. Well, the bear meat can have the same problem. George, would you mind telling us what trichinosis is? Oh yeah, trichinosis, yeah, it's an infectious disease that you can get from, from un undercooked uh, pork mainly and that that was probably the, the most common thing is not bear meat but pork and we had also diphtheria occasionally that's a uh, in the throat it's a kind of membrane to bacterial infection you can get in the throat and the membrane covers parts of the throat that can be a, a real significant problem that we don't rare, we rarely see because we have DPT shots are given to, to babies, so you can pre prevent that in tetanus. Well, the P or pertussis, whooping cough, that's also something they occasionally see, and you're probably more familiar with that because they have that whooping sound. They go, there. <laughs> 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 and so uh, whooping cough can be pretty dramatic when you, when you hear it or see it. Hmm. When you had a patient come in with the bubonic plague, you might not have known that that's what it was when they had a swollen lymph node. When You're right. You, I mean, but does that make you, there must have been some sort of fear there, like on your end, right? The exposure? Well, 
yeah, you 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 do wear gloves and 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 uh, wash up for and after, but it's it's not highly contagious from person to person. It's more the pneumonic plague is person to person transmission. Mm-hmm. Bubonic or bubo is a lymph node that is not contagious person to person. Oh. But if somebody also got it in their lungs, the pneumonic plague, then when they cough, they can spread it. So that's much more serious and you have to wear a mask and gown and you know, a lot more protection for pneumonic plague. Um, fortunately, there are antibiotics to treat that. And so this child did well, he got treated. The main thing is to recognize that's what it is. So you get the right treatment. And one of the key characteristics is the lymph node is extremely tender. If you get close, you know, they jump or, you know, you touch it, they're in intense pain with the, the bubo, if you will, the bubonic plague, the, the lymph node swelling. So to recognize that that is a possibility for those of us that lived in rural New Mexico or Arizona, you're kind of aware of that. Many doctors have never, ever seen a case, so they might not even think of it. So okay. it's helpful if you've had that experience. Thanks for sharing that, George. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the What to Be Show at KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm Patrick Hart, and I'm speaking with Dr. George Bunch. And George, what would you say is some of the most stressful parts of your career being a pediatric doctor? Well, medically, uh, some of the most stressful is taking care of premature babies. You have these babies born at two, three pounds, immature lungs, uh, trouble breathing, trouble getting oxygen, high risk for infection. So to try to help bring them along is a real challenge. Uh, particularly if you're, as I was, in a rural small town away from a medical center with neonatologists and specialists for newborn care, because our little town in New Mexico, 16,000 had a hospital of about 30 30 or 40 beds uh, and a small nursery, but no sophisticated uh, specialist in, in newborn care. So they would frequently we would transport them out to Albuquerque by air back, but you have to take care of them in those four to six or eight hours, and sometimes in a snowstorm, 12 to 24 hours before they could come and get the baby and take it to the tertiary center. So trying to put a tube in its trachea to help them breathe, those were real challenges and, and can be uh, very stressful. Uh, if you're in a city practice, those babies would be probably born, uh, referred in the mom before they were born to a, a hospital with neonatal service, a neonatologist, so that you wouldn't be uh, as stressed over those because you wouldn't have to care for those. Uh, but that, in our situation, was probably the most stressful. Okay. And some, how about emergency, emergency room cases that we were called in to help with? also could be stressful because they might not be even a patient you've ever seen or know anything about and they're in a usually an emergent situation either with a severe infection or injury or trauma or something so those were stressful Uh, yeah 
George, what advice or resources can you give to students who are interested in pursuing a career in the medical field? Well, I think going along in uh, college, you will get, you're required to have certain pre-med courses like chemistry and biology and some basics. But I think uh, your college time is a chance to explore other things that you like or may may help you in the future, like if you're going to work, as I did, in an area where there are a lot of Hispanic patients, it's, it's good to take Spanish and maybe even major in it so that you become very fluent in it and you're much more useful for your patients and get much better communication if you don't have to use an interpreter, if you do learn the language, so that I think if you're going to work in a certain area, you want to learn the language of that type of patients you're going to be dealing with and and even if you you might even major in something like that and just get your science courses as electives because you'll get all the science training you need in medical school you don't have to have a lot of detailed genetics and parasitology and some of the things I know I took that you got again in medical school so yeah I think it's good to explore if you're interested in mental health or emotional behavior issues to take psychology and, and maybe sociology and some special courses in that and child behavior if you want to be in pediatrics. There are things you can take along the way. Uh, so I think that's good. Okay. Thanks, George. And what about advice for people who are unsure about their career path? Well, the, I think a good way to to find out about that is to get a internship or a volunteer to work in a setting that you might be interested in. If you think you'd like to work in a hospital, then see if they either, sometimes they'll have a summer jobs or things that you might be able to explore. Other times you may have to just do volunteer work, but your volunteer work can be very helpful in seeing what it's like, what conditions are, meeting people in the health field being able to talk to them in your work, uh, in your volunteer work. So I think that would be a helpful way talking to folks that you know that are in the healthcare field. Okay. Thanks, George. And I know that you're, you've been pretty active after, you know, in your retirement, you do a lot of work. You were telling me before the interview that you've gone to Uganda and you go to El Salvador. And I just think that you're doing really great work. Do you mind briefly telling us about that? Uh, Sure. When we first moved here, we joined the Trinity Presbyterian Church. It's just a few blocks from, from where we live in the east side of Santa Cruz. And they were involved in a in a ecumenical program with Presbyterian and Lutheran churches here uh, do that work with El, in El Salvador with scholarships. They started with actually water and sanitation projects. And once they improved that in in a small community in El Salvador, uh, we now have scholarships that we give to help the uh, children through school with uh, school supplies and internet connection, and then on to the university with tuition and books and, and help with their expenses to go to the university. So that project is ongoing, and we go down once a year to meet and interact with the students and, and with their families in these small communities. And so that's called Santa Cruz El Salvador. It's a good program. Several local churches here 
and in uh, Salinas and Watsonville as well, working with us. And then the other thing I, you mentioned, the Uganda was a rotary project that it's again a water and sanitation project where we raise funds which are matched by the Rotary Foundation and, and this global grant money is then used to uh, bring fresh water down to water taps inside the community where the village is and where the schools are and then composting toilets to keep the water pure and safe. So we visited there two years ago in April and visited in the community with the folks who are very appreciative of what the Rotary Club has done to help them there. So we're working on a project in the community next to this for a similar water and sanitation project. So yeah, I've, I've enjoyed those international connections and both the Rotary and the Presbyterian Church very active in helping with those projects. And I wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to do this interview with me today. I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Thank you again very much. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Dr. George Bunch. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can find us on major podcast streaming platforms like Spotify. Please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. Thank you very much and see you next time.